Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have an amazing episode for you today. Uh, I am joined by Eric Eden. Eric is the Chief Market marketing officer at Ingo. Eric has 20 plus years of experience in technology marketing for internet services and SaaS solutions. His experience includes building great marketing teams, implementing marketing technology solutions effectively, driving demand in B2B marketing and increasing shareholder value with best-in-class marketing initiatives. His greatest gifts are his strategic vision and ability to implement dynamic marketing and branding strategies. Eric, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Good day. Thanks for having me on the show today. Yes, I am excited for our discussion. Um, but before we jump in, I like to break the ice with what I like to call a little woo-saw moment called buzzword banishment. So tell me, Eric, what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? Sales and marketing alignment. <laughs> because we're all on the same team and we should all just get along after all. Uh, I, I agree with you, and it is one that I would say is probably severely overused, um, and the lack thereof is often blamed for you know all of the problems. It's we need sales and marketing alignment. There lacks sales and marketing alignment. Sales and marketing is a team sport, after all. Yes, and I very much believe that we are all on the revenue team and that if we are all, you know, it's like you don't you don't ever have a football team say our defense and offense got to have alignment. It's like we're all one big team. Uh, although I think someone in a previous episode did banish the use of sports analogies and I just can't get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, awesome. Now that we have gotten that off our chest, tell me, Eric, what brings you to Revenue Rehab today? The biggest insight um, that I have been noticing is that the time we're in right now is is very different in, in B2B sales and marketing than it has been, say, five years ago. I think there's been a tremendous amount of change in the last several years um, that has really changed changed the the game for how B2B sales and marketing works. Um, we've had things, everyone knows about the pandemic and not going to offices anymore. I never thought that that would you know, be, be a thing where it was a battle to get people just to come into the office. Um, you know, we have events that were shut down for a number of years. We have a lot of new privacy laws that are limiting uh, digital marketing initiatives. Um, so GDPR, privacy laws, which I like to call anti-marketing laws. 
and uh, <laughs> and uh, um, you know the the changes with cookies and and um, how analytics work has really made it um, a real challenge for a lot of the tactics and distribution channels and strategies that people you know initially used have had to have different weightings. Um, and there's a bigger thing too, is, is that I think that from a generational perspective, um, people are buying differently. So um, generally, um, I think the buyer's journey has changed and people want to do a lot of their own research before they really engage with, with a company and a sales organization. Um, they want to research things online. They're less open you know, to, to cold calls and, and, and cold emails. And, uh, I would say broadly speaking, um, you know, a lot of people just don't like being blasted. So, um, as, as a C-level executive, I get blasted with like a hundred cold emails and cold calls a day. And it really is unpleasant to be blasted over and over again with like, no people not, taking any time to um, customize anything to me. It's it's really not a great feeling. And I think that as people move more into digital because of the pandemic, it's like there's been 60% increase in email volumes. It's really just made people a lot more, um, uh, less open to just, you know, the persistence, you know, routine. So I've been the biggest mass marketer in my career, um, but I think that things are changing and that people have to adapt. So I wouldn't go as far to say B2B marketing is broken, but I would say B2B marketing is definitely evolving. I definitely agree. And it's funny you mentioned how many cold reach outs you get. Cause I mean, you think about it, it's like the, when everybody does personas, it is always like, you know, the C-suite, the executive that is the uh, ideal target. So it's like, you're on everybody's list to reach out to. <laughs> I have um, a target on my back, yeah. Yeah, very much so. And I know um, one thing, like the fact that so much has changed in marketing in the last, you know, five, 10 years, one of those things is you have seen so many startups and venture and PE-backed firms that have come into play that it has opened up a lot of different kind of roles for the head of marketing. If you think about, you know, before there were so many startups, especially in the technology space, um, there were far fewer head of marketing roles. Uh, you had to be a lot further in your career. And I know in addition to your role at Ingo, you are also an executive in residence um, for a venture partner firm. And so tell me a little bit about that and what that role is for you. Yeah, so over the last year, um, it's given me the opportunity to work with all the portfolio companies that are part of Information Venture Partners, um, you know, 30 plus companies that are in SaaS, FinTech payments. And um, it gives you a perspective when you can see sort of the issues that that, that arise across multiple companies that are all in in the similar areas. And it, it sort of lets you see some of these trends and patterns more, you know, more clearly. And what I've been doing is trying to 
help the portfolio companies uh, with their go-to-market strategy, um, both like marketing and sales-wise. How can they generate more demand? How can they do product marketing and explain who they are and what they do in an inspiring way, I like to say, and uh, how they can ultimately get the growth they want. Because in my in my 20 plus year career, I've always worked for private equity and venture capital backed companies. That's what I love. That's what I get excited about um, to get up every day and do is to go drive growth. You know, some people like working for big companies where you're sort of just in maintenance mode, but really my whole career has been about um, how to be a driver of growth. And that's, you know, what I, what I try to help um, the portfolio companies do. And, and that's what I'm doing at Ingo too. Okay. And I always like to set intentions um, in everything really, but um, specifically on revenue rehab, I think it gives us focus in our conversation. It also gives our audience some understanding of what they should walk away from um, from this discussion with. And so for today, I would really like to set an intention to help those that are head of marketings today that are considering what their next step may be and kind of thinking outside of the box. I know in the past few months, there have been a lot of layoffs, a lot of conversations around where is the economy going? Are we headed for a recession? All these different things. And as I've been in different um, different circles with you know CMOs that have been in this position before where they've either had to um, find new roles as a result of layoffs within their own organizations or having to lay off their teams. And one of the sentiments that seems to be really common is a little bit of like, I'm tired, like of this same old rodeo. And a lot of people are really starting to think about what is that next step in their career? And so for someone like you, who has kind of been on both sides in an advisory role and you know, at working for an actual company, if someone is thinking about being an executive in residence um, or you know, trying to take the same kind of ad advisory path that you have, what are some of those things they should think about and consider? Yeah, so I think the the, upside of being an advisor to a lot of companies is you get to meet a lot of great people. You get to learn about a lot of different businesses and you can apply um, what you've learned and, and, and help others um, be successful. So, you know, that can be, that can be really rewarding. Um, I've also enjoyed being in the, in the CMO seat and being a driver myself because I have full control. Um, you know, I think the biggest challenge with being an advisor um, or more broadly, you know, a consultant is a lot of times you can give advice, but do people follow it? Like sort of like your doctor, you know, give, gives orders all the time and everyone doesn't like to follow the doctor's orders, right? You know, it's, <laughs> not, it's not particularly always easy or fun. So um, I don't think that marketing is always easy, is always easy either. Um, I actually like to say, It'll never be easy, but it should always be fun. Um, but I, I do think that there's a lot of things in marketing that are that are very challenging. This feeling you described about, you know, I'm tired is, is that it, in my most successful companies I've been at, it's sort of been stringing together, you know, a thousand days of hard work before you really get 
a glorious day where you get to ring the bell on the New York Stock Exchange because your company went public. It it's a lot of work, um, and you know there's not often a lot of recognition, and so I think that that leaves people with that that feeling you're describing. Um, that's a that's a really good point. I think you hit on two things. Um, one is that full control versus being an advisory role. And I've definitely experienced that. Obviously, I'm a consultant. And so I work with you know a lot of different companies over the years. And I have also been on the you know client side and actually leading marketing. And that is a key distinction. If you are someone that is kind of evaluating what your next step is, is do you want that full control which also comes with the full accountability and you know some of those days that are definitely uh you know borderline not fun we won't say they're not fun at all but uh some of those days that are more of a struggle or do you thrive more in that um more inconsistent i'll say uh world of being able to advise multiple companies um but you have that drawback of sometimes it is like banging your head on the wall when it's like, I'm telling you the right things to do. Like just, you know, follow my orders uh, using your doctor's orders analogy. Um, if someone is questioning which of those buckets they kind of fit in, any thoughts of how you sort of self-assess to say, can I handle the lack of control of, you know, I don't know if they're going to follow my orders. Uh, I don't have control over, you know, whether it's success or failure. I'm only advising. Yeah, I'd say if you're in the advisory or consultant um, side of things, that your your best skill would need to be the power of persuasion. Um, so um, not. Um, people doing things because you say so because of you're in charge or your title, but because you can persuade them that this is the right thing to do. Um, and that's often, I think, you know, pretty difficult. The way I usually do it is by sharing data, um, benchmarking, um, sharing examples of how other companies are doing it that are very similar stage and in, in industry to, to the company I'm working with. I mean, all of those things are helpful in the persuasion but in a lot of cases, it really comes down to building the relationships where you can um, add that kind of value through persuasion. Uh, no, that definitely makes sense. And for someone like you who uh, kind of does both at the same time, what does your day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, back to the... Uh, the, uh, the buzzword at the beginning of, about alignment is, is that most things in business are really about relationships. So, you know, building good relationships with people, um, you can get a lot of things done on a daily basis if you just have the best relationships with the people that you're working with. Um, so that's the ability to communicate uh, really well via all the modern channels like email, texting, you know, video calls in person, um, if, if you can really communicate well and build great relationships, you eliminate more problems than you can ever imagine. And so I would just say being in, in touch with people and, and communicating openly and, and, and directly being transparent, 
um, but, but also working hard to build up good relationships and doing all the things that go into that is really, you know, what I spend most of my time doing and trying to be generally helpful to, to other people. I think that's just something that is, you know, part of, you know, the culture of who I am is I'm a naturally curious person who likes to be really helpful to other people. So if I can leverage things I've learned in the last 20 years, um, then I'll, I'll go out of my way to be helpful to other people. Okay. And because you kind of have two key stakeholders, one, you know, you're obviously accountable to the partnership and the, the venture firm and what their goals and objectives are. But then as you are advising the individual portfolio companies, you've got some accountability there and they are their own stakeholder. Do you ever find conflict between what the, the venture firm versus the actual company wants or what their goals and priorities are? I think, I think their, their goals are largely aligned because they want to be successful and grow. So um, there, there isn't really, um, you know, a, a tension in terms of different um, goals or, or objectives. Um, I think that, you know, building up, like I mentioned, building up good relationships and, and, and being helpful to people, there is sometimes this um, question of, you know, am, am I a spy, you know, for the venture firm? <laughs> am I trying to get information out of them? I'm like, yeah, you got me, I'm a spy. No, um, but, but, but I think, you know, it's, it's um, not about trying to find out things that are going on within a company. It's about genuinely trying to help them with some of these problems and, sales and marketing and, and go to market that are genuinely hard problems. Um, you know, how to, how to generate more engagement from the audience you want to sell to is generally not an easy problem to solve. Explaining how, how you, um, who your company is, what you do, the value you offer and your positioning relevant to other co competitors seems simple until you have to actually go do it. And then it's harder than you think. Right. So, um, being able to engage with companies and help them with these things um, are usually not controversial between, you know, the, the the venture firm and the and the goals of the company. I think it's it's more just about um, having the great relationships so that you can um, provide that help to people. Okay. And if someone is considering, you know, following in your footsteps and taking on more of an advisory role. Are there any, you know, watch outs or gotchas that you would say that someone should think about or consider? Um, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any watch outs or gotchas. I think that it's, um, th there's also quite a few people who in a similar way do fractional CMO work. Um, and there's a lot of people who are quite successful in doing that. It's, it's, it's very similar to that, right? um in some ways and i would say that th the nature of a fractional cmo work uh is that it's typically shorter term engagements like you'll work with a company anywhere from three to 12 months to help them do some of the things they need to do and so it's not necessarily um like a long-term um you know relationship it can be but it's generally usually more three to 12 months and then the other piece of it is is that um, it, it can be a little bit, um, 
uh, more volatile because I think that, you know, organizations in general are more committed to the, the people that are there full time than people who are consultants or fractional. Um, they just prioritize full-time employees, you know, ahead of others. Right. So I think you just have to be aware of those, those dynamics. I think they're, they're natural and logical dynamics to be there, but you know, that's sort of the nature, nature of the, of the game. Makes sense. And so um, when you're, so with information venture partners, are you working with all of the portfolio companies? Is there like, do you, you know, do you have like a counterpart where you divide and conquer? How does that structure work in terms of which organizations you are working with? Yeah. So it's not all 30 companies at one time, because that would be not really feasible, but it's usually when companies need help on a particular issue and there's a handful at a time that, that I can work with. So um, typically when um, people have just raised another round and they're ready to start investing more and the question is, how do you invest in marketing um, to, to get growth? Um, so after an investment round is one time period where the, it, it's pretty common um, for me to jump in and, and help. So Another one would be um, if they're trying to solve a particular problem at that point in time. Um, so if they're trying to add additional marketing channels or if they have a new product um, or if there's some other big change in the business and they want to you know, promote that, um, those are the times when it's ideal to um, jump in and help. Also, a lot of times if they've added new people to the team, or they want to add new people to the team, helping helping with those um, initiatives are are another good point to, uh, to to jump in and help. Okay, so what it sounds like I'm hearing is a little bit of a distinction between an advisory role and like a fractional CMO role is that in the advisory capacity, you're almost looking at a specific problem. And that's where, you know, when they have your problem, that's where you lean in and that there are, that you have counterparts that solve other problems. Whereas in a fractional CMO role, it's going to be a bit more broad. I mean, still obviously problem focused, but where you are leaning in and serving as that role for a period of time. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, a lot of times organizations need a fractional CMO, like in a, in a transitionary period, um, you know, and, you know, I think sometimes fractional CMOs are hired to work on specific problems or new initiatives, just similar to, to in the um, being an executive residence when you're, when you're helping portfolio companies. I think it's similar, but it is, it can be a bit, you know, different for the reasons that, that, that you suggested. And I have worked for other companies, some of the most successful companies I worked for one company for over 10 years. Right. So, um, you know, I've done both longer term, um, engagements and, and, sh and shorter term ones. I think the great thing is you, is if you have the right approach, you get to learn in both of those situations, right? You can learn a lot in both situations. No, that is very interesting. Um, and then I know that some 
people choose to go down the path of um, advising in more of an ad hoc capacity in like, you know, securing uh, or independently, I guess is probably a better word where you kind of get, you know, different companies here and there. Any advantage or drawback to that approach versus what you're doing and working with a single entity that has a broader group of um, portfolio companies? I think the most of the fractional CMOs that um, I know really well um, win most of their business just through um, referrals. So they do a great job and then they get more work than they can actually handle getting, you know, referred into them. Um, because there's always a lot of, a lot of work to do in marketing. It's, it's never, um, really like, Oh, there's nothing to do. Like, or we don't need to help. <laughs> it's, 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 you're, you're, you're not frequently bored in, in marketing. There's so much to do because it's such a broad spectrum of, of tasks and skills and teams. So I, I think that, uh, you know, if people are CMO route, the key is, do you have a great network? Are you well connected? Will people, you know, refer you in? Um, that's like the best way to win business as a, as a fractional CMO. Whereas, you know, if you're an executive in residence for a, um, a, a venture firm or a private equity firm, you you get those referrals sort of from the partners and the firm saying, hey, this portfolio company could use help on this on this particular thing. So the the referrals are sort of built in. So if you don't necessarily have the network to get a lot of referrals, you know the the, the, the venture um, can be you know a good a good way to go. Uh, no, that is helpful. So talking about our challenges is just the first step. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that are considering their next move. Um, so in traditional therapy, the client gives, uh, or the therapist gives the client homework, but at Revenue Rehab, we like to kind of flip that on, their, on its head and allow you to give our listeners some homework. Um, so if someone is considering taking on the a similar role to what you have, what would be the one thing you would encourage them to do? I, I would encourage people to think about what stage of company they want to work at. Um, just because working for companies that are series A companies is a much different um, game than companies that are series C or series D, for example, that are much larger, have a lot more funding, a lot more resources. Um, and the trade-off is generally, um, we know where the risk comes from. We, I'm sorry, we know where the rewards come from. It comes from risk. So, right. so um, <laughs> you know, if you start with a series A, you know, nine out of 10 series A companies, um, you know, don't, ultimately get further than series a um that's just sort of the nature of it is is that um but if you start earlier you'll potentially get more equity and you have a lot more upside and you're there early and you're one of the initial group of people that is, is driving the growth of the company so there's a lot of upside to that but there's also a lot of risk um and so 
Um, I know one CMO who got laid off from a Series A company for the third time and just said, I'm done with Series A. I just can't deal with the risk anymore. I'm going to go work for companies that are later stage, you know, Series C, Series D. And I think that that's, for some people, the right answer because they just, they can't tolerate that, that risk. And um, I think it's just important to know where you operate um, the best and where you want to, to really be. And I would say a similar thread to this is um, there's so much marketing work out there across industries um, to know what, what type of work you want to do. I mean, B2C is very different than B2B, for example. And even with B2B, it's very different if you're doing marketing to marketers or if you're doing marketing, say, in healthcare or marketing in fintech. Um, it's just a very different dynamic, right? I, I personally, for for a majority of my career, I've been doing marketing to marketers. And I, I, I personally love that, for example, right? That's what we're doing at Ingo. And, and I personally really love that. I thought doing marketing in the health healthcare tech space was really hard for me personally. Um, and it's just because perhaps I was less passionate about it, right? Um, yeah. So I should say, I, I say this just to, to, to share the other filter is you should do what you're passionate about, um, not just, you know, what, what earns you good money because that tends to get old pretty fast. Awesome. So to distill that down into our action item for everyone listening, uh, it is to take stock of where do you thrive? What, whether it's industry, size of company, series, uh, you know, who the audience is. So really think about where you are going to be most successful and identify that in identifying what is that next role. I think that is great advice, Eric. Well, I have enjoyed our discussion today, but that is our time for today. So thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Appreciate you you having me on the uh, on the show and have a great day. Awesome. And thanks to everyone for joining us. I hope you have enjoyed our conversation with Eric. I can't believe that we are already at the end, but we will see you next time. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.